This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Mark chapter 10. I am deeply grateful and humbled by the opportunity to be up here this morning. It's been a while. And uh, I'm grateful to look out over the faces of a church that has loved us and supported us and been a family to us. Now you have to forgive me, this is only, uh, I've only preached in shoes a handful of times now. And uh, I've, I've got hundreds and hundreds of lessons and sermons and sandals. So if I trip or something today, you all have to forgive me a little bit. And, uh, and just understand, I'd, I'd much rather be in my slippers this morning, but that's all right. And so I put on shoes just for you guys. I know you would appreciate it. This morning in Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to begin. Pastor Brown already read our text, and I appreciate it. I want to read it one more time as we go into it. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, we'll make our way through verse 31. The Bible says this, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, that he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and last first. Our King Jesus, we come to you this morning. You are on the throne of the world watching out, listening for your worship, going up as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to you. God, I pray that this time would not be me preaching to a group of people, but, Father, that it would be a group of believers that is your body lifting up worship to you. Father, I pray that you would help my words to be measured. I pray that they would come out with clarity. And I pray, Father, that this message would strike where I believe it is intended to. And I pray that you would help this time to be pleasing to you. We love you, Father. It's just, it's only because of King Jesus that we have any hope in this life. We thank you so much that we're able to celebrate that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Chuk, people are very well able, and I know up until probably somewhat recently, within the last century or so, we were able to do it as well. But in Chuk, people are able to trace their lineage simply by oral tradition. You know, for me, I know I could name you probably all of my first cousins uh, without having to think too hard, but after that, I wouldn't be able to tell you very much. But inevitably, Pastor Mike and myself, uh, that's the pastor that I work underneath of, he and I will be out in town, and he's, he's an older man. He grew, up, uh, he grew up truly traditional on a small island living in thatched huts, 
fishing, doing all these things. And, and so he's very traditional. And we'll be out in town, and it's a joke between us that we can go nowhere without him finding some relative or new family member. And, and it really is true. We'll go out, and we'll be driving down in town, or we'll, have, we'll meet somebody that we've never met before. And he'll say, your face looks like this person over here. And they'll say, oh, yeah, that's my great uncle. And he'll say, oh, well, my sister's mother-in-law is related to this guy. And he'll trace the entire lineage and figure out how some person on the street is related to him. It's really amazing. We can go nowhere. I've been on different islands. I've been on the backside of islands where we haven't been before, and he'll find a family member. It's pretty amazing. I love watching Pastor Mike do it. And then what's more amazing is he knows how it traces. He knows on which side of the family. He knows that uh, if it's both sides of the family or only his mother or his father's. And not only that, he'll tell you if it's his mother's mother's side of the family or vice versa. He knows all of these things, and the further out we go, the more family I feel that Pastor Mike ends up having. And this morning, we come to an interesting text, an interesting passage in Scripture. And it's, it's after one of the most well-known accounts in the Word of God. And I want us to get the context, I want us to zoom out for just a moment, and let's understand the context that Peter begins to speak. Jesus and his disciples are walking along a dusty road, and the Bible says that there was a young man that came running up to him. And this young man was excited, and he said, Good master, what can I do that I should inherit eternal life? And we know the story. Jesus looks at him, and he says, Why, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. So the young man's on to something. And I want us to remember that this is a ruler, a rich, young ruler. And, and he asks Jesus, what can I do to inherit this life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. And now we have a spark of hope. The young ruler says, I've done that. I've done that. Which ones am I supposed to obey? And Jesus says, well, obey, uh, you obey your mother and father, honor them, don't steal, don't kill, don't curse, don't cheat, you know, kind of the basic ones. And it, it's at this moment the young man is rejoicing, and he says, I've done that all from my youth, so what do I lack? And Jesus says, well, you, you, lack, you lack just one thing. Why don't you, if you want to inherit eternal life, why don't you go out and just sell all that you have? Give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the words of the story really ring true. The young man walked away sad, brokenhearted, and so did Jesus. Jesus walked away brokenhearted that this young man was so close to life, and he let it go. So Peter begins thinking. Jesus looks over at them, and he says, how hard. It's so difficult for these rich people to enter into the kingdom. And that sends a shockwave through the disciples because they had the same mindset that many people nowadays have. If you're rich, you're blessed of God. And if you're poor, obviously you've disappointed him. And so the, the, the Bible says they were astonished. They was jaw-dropping. 
What? This, is, this can't be true. And Jesus looks at them, and I would imagine in the middle of his sorrow, there may have been a small smirk because he saw that his disciples were confused, and he said, no, no, it really is true. It's, it's very hard for them to enter into the kingdom. And they were yet more astonished. How can this be true? And he says, well, with God, or with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter, now the cogs are turning. Peter speaks up and he says, Look, we've left everything. Everything for you. Jesus enters into one of the most comforting passages that I've ever found. And this morning I want to encourage you. I've got two main things that I want you to walk away with this morning, but one of them is a secret toward, until toward the end of the message. But the first thing, the main thing, if there is one sentence that you had to walk away with today, it's a sentence that will not shock you. And it's a sentence that you know well. And in all honesty, as I look out upon the faces of people that I grew up with, I know for a fact that the lesson and the, what I wish to convey this morning is a biblical truth that many of you are already obeying because I've learned it from you. But it's this truth right here. A life lived in full surrender to the king is a life that is rewarded by the king. I'll say it again because I, I, I want to encourage this church. I'm not here preaching this this morning because I think you need it. I'm here preaching this this morning because I want to encourage you to continue in it. A life that is lived in full surrender to the king is a life that is rewarded by the king. And we notice a few things this morning. First of all, number one, we notice the release. We look in verses 28 and 29, and Peter began to say unto him, Oh, lo, we've left all. Now, I love that word, lo. It's very old Englishy. It sounds, and when I read it, you know, growing up, I always sounded so serious. Peter turned, and lo, we have left all. But this, it's, it's a word, it's an interjection in the Greek, and he's saying, Hey, look, we've left everything for you. It's like, a, a, hey, this, hello, pay attention. We've done this. And so, look, we have left everything and have followed you. And Jesus answered, and he said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house. Now, under this, what we understand, there is a decision that was made. This word left, it's the idea, right? It, when we look at this, I want you to realize today, this passage is not only for missionaries. This passage is not only for full-time Christian workers. This passage is a passage that is meant for the body of Christ as a whole. And so this word left, it doesn't mean all the time to completely walk away from and never see it again, but what it means is a release, an open-handedness, a yielding up unto God something that was previously being held on to. And so, you look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 18. 
And we see the same exact language because Peter is remembering something. This has only been a couple of years. Peter is there and he's saying, we have left. We have asiamied, if you're interested in the Greek. We have done this word. We have let go. We've yielded it up. And in Mark 1.18, and straightway they forsook. Same word. They forsook their nets and followed him. Peter knows exactly what it is to yield it up. Peter knows exactly what it is to yield it up. Now, think as well, we're in an agrarian society in this. So to give up your family, here, we're used to it. We're in a military church. You move away for a few years and you move over here and, you know, you got FaceTime and you got this and you're living independently. But to give up your family in truth, to give up your family is a death sentence. There's nowhere to go. Because your family and your land are connected, just like it was in the Bible. If I leave my land, then I leave my family. If I leave my family and I leave my land, how do I get my food? If I leave all these things, what future do I have? If I leave my brothers and my sisters and my father and my mother, if I do all of these things, what is there for me? And we see then, as this decision was made, it's really interesting that this word gives the idea, in the way that it was written, it gives the idea of this decision. A punctilier, we gave it up. We left it. It was a done deal. We dropped it, and we walked away. But then this is what's interesting. The decision was made, this release was made, but then it was continued to be followed. Peter uses this really interesting language. Lo, we've left all. It happened in the past. And there was this one time we decided you were worth it. We dropped it. And then we followed you. And this word for follow is also a beautiful word because it gives the idea of an action that was started in the past that is seen as continuing onward. Peter isn't saying we've started to follow you or we followed you for a while. He's saying the day we dropped it, the day we released it, is the day that this following began and it's continuing. And so this decision was made and this decision was being followed. But what's really important is that I want you to understand this looks different for every believer. It's the same principle, the same rule, the same promise, but it might look different for you. We don't have nets to drop, and we're not walking away from the land that, of our birth that we have raised wheat on since we were young children, and we, we don't have those things to let go of. But we see other examples of this in the Word. In Luke 8, verses 1 through 3, we see a list of women that were well off. They had money. They had prominence. They were married to important men. And what did they do? They let go. They released their grasp on these things. And they gave it to Jesus. They didn't let go of all their wealth. They didn't become poor. But they released the grip that they had on it. And it had on them. And they used it to serve the Lord. We look at Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They had a house in Bethany not far from Jerusalem. I don't know if they were wealthy. I don't know if they were poor. It seems to me that they were, you know, they were okay. They were somewhat well off. And they released it. Jesus, you come anytime. Our house is your house. 
We see as well that the disciples did literally leave everything behind. John writes to Gaius in 3 John commending them, saying, hey, great job for opening up your house. He had left, he had let go, he had released all that was his and simply placed it in the hand of the king. And so I want you this morning to realize this passage isn't saying, okay, if you're a missionary and you've left everything and you've gone somewhere, then this is your reward. But for the rest of you, no, this is simply saying what you have, what is in your hand, when you yield it up to God, when you release it, when you leave everything and place it in the hands of the king, you can expect this. But here's the question. We look at the release. We see that it was a one time that was this decision. And sure, they could have gone back. They tried. They tried to go back to fishing when the Lord was in the grave. They tried to return. And yet, their hearts burned because they knew it wasn't what they were meant for. They knew they had given this up for greater things. They could go back. But the idea was, no, we've dropped it. We've yielded it. We've let go of it. We have left it. And now we're following. Now, I look out among you, and I know many of you since I've been a child. And I've learned this lesson from you. And my encouragement to you is to continue on, but you, young men, you, young women, you can't bank on what mom and dad have done. You can't say their sacrifices now are your merits. No, what are you going to do with the things that you have? What are you willing to let go of? Maybe we've let go of 89% of our things or 98% of our things and we're grasping on to something and we haven't let it go. Yield it. Why? Because number one, we see the release, but number two, we see the reason. Look with me in verse 29. Truly, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sister uh, or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Now we get to the meat of it. There's this call to action. Release it. Let it go. What are you willing to open your hands up to God for? What are you willing to yield up, to leave behind, and let God do whatever with? But the reason is, it's not just that we do it so that we feel nice. It's not that we do it because it's a duty. It's not that we do it so that we look like the rest of the church. There are two specific reasons that Jesus gives. And number one, it's for his name's sake. No man has done any of these things for my sake. Why? Why would he say this? The more I have meditated, this is, this is and I'm sure you've had this, so, so forgive me, but this is one of those passages that I've often read through and I kind of speed through and I, I haven't meditated deeply on it all the time. But I got to do that. I was meditating on this and, 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 and thinking about it. Why would Jesus say that? It's not enough to just give things up. It's not enough. I know people in Chuuk. I know, I, know I know people that have um, gone over there for humanitarian efforts. I know people that have gone over there to, uh, you know, to teach for a year or, or whatever the case. Good things, those they may be, but they weren't for the kingdom. 
So it's not enough to give things up. It's not enough to be sacrificial. It's not enough to do nice things. Why are you doing them? Jesus says, for my sake. Why? Because he is Lord and King. Think about this passage with me. It would take, I believe what Jesus is saying here, he's not, he's not saying it outright, I am Lord and King. Obviously, it's not in the text. But I believe that he's implying it. Because what kind of a man, other than a narcissist or a lunatic, would say, hey, you just, why don't you give up everything for me? And then come and follow me. I can't promise you anything. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests and I don't have, a, I don't have a pillow to lay my head on, but you give up everything and follow me. No, Jesus here, I believe, is making a declaration of his lordship. I am worthy to have things given up for me. And Jesus Christ here is laying it all out. What do you want? Do you want everything over here or do you want me? Because Jesus is Lord and King. In Acts chapter 10, several years later, we see that Peter remembers this. He's talking, he's in the middle of a sermon, and he says, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. By the way, he is Lord of all, is what Peter says. This harkens back as we go back to Psalm 110. It says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst, in the middle of thine enemies. But that's not just an Old Testament passage. Later on, as things are beginning to happen, as the church is being birthed, as people are wondering what is going on, why are we suffering, what are all of these things for? Acts chapter 2, therefore, being this is in the middle of a great sermon by Peter. He's lifting up Jesus Christ. He is declaring him as king of the universe. And he says, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David, now he's going back to Psalm 110. For David, he's not the one that ascended into the heavens, but he said, the Lord said unto my Lord, Yahweh said unto my Adonai, God the Father said unto Jesus Christ, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is King. And Jesus Christ sits on the throne of the universe and he calls out, Who will be loyal to me? What will you release for me? It's not that we're releasing things arbitrarily. It's not that we are releasing things so that we begin to feel better about ourselves. We release, we yield, because Christ alone is King. He's King of Chesapeake. He's King of Portsmouth. He's King of Chuuk. He's King of Virginia, whether they want to realize it or not. And you and I have the absolute privilege 
to yield it up to him, to declare his lordship, to say, yes, if he is king, I am willing to give it all up, as painful as it may be. I'm willing to give it all up, no matter what the future may or may not hold, because Christ is king. Now we see that. That's a lot from just a declaration of saying, hey, give it up on my behalf. But here's, here's where we're going. What's the next part? I really, I'm not, I'm not just trying to read into the text what's here. I'm trying to draw out of it here. And this is what I believe that Jesus is implying. What does he say? There's two reasons to yield it up. There's two reasons to give up all that is precious to you. For my sake and what? The gospel. Now let's meditate for a minute. Let's think. If Jesus is on earth at this time when he's teaching, easy quiz, right? Has he already died and been buried and rose again when he's saying these things? No. It's okay. I got you, Landon. We're good. All right. No. This is pre-death, burial, and resurrection. What he's talking about for the gospel's sake. So what, there's not two different Gospels, don't get me wrong here, I'm not preaching a second Gospel. What I'm saying, we, when we hear Gospel, we immediately think death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is correct. That is the essence and the heart of the Gospel. But Jesus is talking about the Gospel before what we view as the Gospel has happened. So what's going on here? He says, if you are willing to do all this for my sake and the Gospel, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel just means good news. How do we know this? Well, look in our context. Look in the verses. Verses 23 through 25 explicitly mention the kingdom. It is hard for them to enter into the kingdom. And so therefore, why are we doing all of this? It is for the gospel of the kingdom. It says in Matthew 4.23 and in Mark 1.14 that Jesus Christ came declaring the gospel of the kingdom. And so we have Jesus Christ, the king, declaring, give up everything, yield it all for my sake and the gospel's. So what is this gospel of the kingdom? It's not a separate gospel. It's not in addition to the gospel. It is the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is the fact that Jesus Christ is king. And as the sovereign ruler, he has made a way through his death, his burial, his resurrection for us to enter into that kingdom. And so Christ, here's, here's what he is leaving us with. Here's the idea before we move on to the final point. Number one, release everything. Release it. Yield it up to God. Your talents, your abilities, your things, your children, your houses, your land, yield. Not just in name only. It's easy, isn't it? I know. But then, why? Why are we yielding it? It's because Jesus said, for my sake, for the gospel, for the kingdom's sake. And if you are part of this kingdom, here's, here's where I think it'll help us make sense. In Chuk, 
Believe it or not, we use the U.S. dollar. So there's no technical exchange rate, but things cost a lot more. But it would be like me going to Timbuktu and saving up millions of Timbuktuan dollars or whatever they use there and amassing them and amassing them and amassing them and amassing them and then coming over to the States and saying, here is my wealth. And you don't get anything for it. Jesus Christ says, you want to yield everything? Yield all the currency that you think is valuable right now. And yield it for the kingdom's sake. Because what you build up here, the things that you count as valuable, the things that you pour your life into, all of that, one day when the kingdom comes, one day when we are entering into it physically, visibly, seeing it happen, and all of our treasures in this other kingdom, it doesn't transfer. But if you yield it now, you can lay up treasure. Where neither moth nor, nut, nor, nor rust doth corrupt, neither thieves break through or steal. And so what is happening here? Jesus says, look, release it all. Here's the reason. For my sake, I am king of a kingdom. And the gospel is this. You enter in by the door of Jesus Christ and you become a citizen of a new kingdom of a kingdom that is real, of a kingdom that Christ is currently ruling, of a kingdom that will come, of a kingdom that is conquering. Christ is reigning until all enemies are put under his feet. Now here's the reward. Verses 30 through 31. He shall receive an hundredfold. Listen to this. Listen, don't be a Christian Gnosticist. Don't be a Christian that says, well, the only important thing is spiritual. No, 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 no. In Genesis, last I checked, Genesis chapter 1, God created physical things. God created bodies. God created beauty on the earth. God created us to be people forever, not floating spirits in the ephemeral nowhere. So listen to what this verse says. This is, this is huge. He shall receive an hundredfold when? Now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last and last first. What are your rewards? Number one is abundance. Now be careful not preaching promise, promise. Not preaching a health and wealth gospel here, okay? Hang with me. I told you there are two points I wanted to make. Point number one was that a life that is lived in full surrender to the king is a life that is rewarded by the king. But the second point that I wanted to make is getting to this, because in this, I, I, I don't know, I, I mean this truly in all humility and love, Sarah and I know what it is to give up everything. And I want you, Good News Baptist Church, to understand this. You are our abundance. You have become a hundred mothers to us. 
and you have become a hundred fathers. And I have brothers, and I have sisters. I have more houses that I could stay in that I could even count. And then I think about home. And I have Brother Chen, and I have Mama Martina. And I have more mothers and brothers and sisters than I could fathom. Because I'm worthy? No, because I serve a king that rewards. And you have been a part of that reward. You have been our inheritance. You have been the blessing. You have stuck with us in the darkest times of our life. You have prayed for us when others have forgotten us. You have reached out and encouraged us when the world felt so dark. Why? Because Jesus used you as the reward of a hundred. But here's what I don't want you to under, I don't want you to think today. Again, I go back to it. This is not a text for missionaries only. Look around at your brothers and sisters. Young people, look around at your mothers and your fathers and your grandparents in the faith. Look around you and count Christ's reward as yours. And in everything that you do, in everywhere that you go, in every little thing, the gospel and mission is lived out simply by serving the king. By letting go. And so we see Jesus promise abundance. Yes, maybe not all the time that we feel like there's an abundance of wealth or things. That's okay. It'll come one day in heaven. But the things that I look forward to, I'm getting a taste of already. It gives us something else to look forward to in persecutions. You're going to receive all these things, but with some persecutions. 1 Peter 4, 12-14, very, very well familiar passage to many of you, if not all of you. Who's talking here? Peter. Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And they do happen. Sarah and I know. You know. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy if you be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Persecution is different than difficulties in life. But do not forget this. Satan walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the things that sometimes we simply view as the difficulties of life are persecutions from the evil one for the gospel's sake. 
And I guarantee you, if you have let things go, if you have allowed Christ to take control, if you, you have yielded up everything, and you are serving the kingdom, and you are seeking the kingdom, and you are working on behalf of King Jesus and the gospel of this kingdom, I guarantee you the things that sometimes from the outside just seem like difficulties or frustrations, I guarantee you those are spiritual things. I've seen dark things in Chuk, my wife and I. And I can guarantee you the spiritual world and this warfare is very, very real. It's masked really pretty here in the United States, but it's real. And I guarantee you that persecutions will come. But rejoice, for in this we take part in Christ's sufferings. So we see abundance and we see persecutions. And then... Jesus says something odd, which I think he's really good at doing. I like Jesus' odd sayings. Makes you think, doesn't it? And in the world to come, what do you get right now? You get abundance. Maybe not physically. Maybe you are not living in a mansion. Maybe you don't have all of these things. But I guarantee you right now, if you've abandoned all for the kingdom, you have abundance that maybe you don't recognize until you open your eyes and count your blessings and name them one by one. You have persecution. Yes. Rejoice. But in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus is obviously not preaching a works-based salvation, but here's, I think, the heart of what he's saying. If somebody grasps Christ so much, if somebody understands the king and his kingdom so well that they are willing to say, you know what, whatever it costs, whatever I give up, I'm following after that, then the chances are they've grasped the gospel. And eternal life is theirs, not because of what they have done, but because who they have placed their faith in. And this morning, my friends, I want you to know that if you are working for your salvation, Rest. It's already been done in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you think that you can please him as a Christian, and you think, oh, Jesus isn't pleased with me yet, i got to do, 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 rest. Because all ye that are weary can come unto me, and I will give you rest. But the gospel is not found in our works, but when we truly grasp who Christ is, and if we've been willing to abandon all, not so that we can earn salvation, but because of the salvation we have been given, then we have eternal life. But then finally, he leaves us again with an odd note. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So what is this reward of the kingdom? Authority. But in this way, many, many Christians, and dare I say, I don't know, I don't have any names in my head, but dare I say, we're in a large church. I would say Christians in here as well have not quite grasped some of you. Many of you that I know have grasped this lesson, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you're hanging on. And you're saving up those Timbuktu dollars, and one day they're not going to transfer into the kingdom. Jesus says, look, what you 
are doing now, who you're building up now, that will reflect. And those that have given up all, whatever that might look like for you. He's not preaching against being rich or being poor. He's not preaching against wealth or poverty. He's not preaching against being well-known or being unknown. What he's saying is whatever you have, if you've released it for the kingdom, for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, reward will come. If you're willing to be lowly now, there will be a place of authority in heaven, but there will be many one day that stand before Christ. And yes, they'll say, I believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have been saved. And then they watch all of those Timbuktu dollars go through the fire. Wood, hay, stubble. Many a preacher, many a missionary will see that very thing happen because it wasn't for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. But maybe there will be a carpenter. Maybe there will be a janitor. Maybe there's going to be a, a naval officer that they stand there and they said, everything I had, everything I did, absolutely everything was released to you. I gave it up to yours. And everything they did, all of those tears that you wiped away, Mom, of those little kids, when they're done for the kingdom, they pass through the fire as gold and precious jewels. All of the things that you have cleaned, all of the, all of the young people that you have mentored, all of these things, all of the hard work that you put into school and you've studied, all of that, when it passes through the fire, if it has been done in the name of Jesus Christ, passes through as beautiful gold that will one day return back to him. And so there's the challenge that Christ leaves us with. Are we willing to release? Because there is a reason to do it. He is king, and there is a gospel of this kingdom, and there is a reward both now and in eternity. I believe all this goes back to a deeper sense. Why do we do this? One day, when we look back, we ask, was it worth it all? Is everything worth it because of the rewards that we receive? Or is everything worth it because of the peace that will be in our heart? Is everything worth it because of the joy that we will get in serving our Savior? And in a sense, yes. Yes, those are parts of the reasons. But I believe it's an even deeper reason. Because in Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2, we get a glimpse. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, read them. And you know there's one point where Peter, Lucy, Susan... They received these amazing gifts from Father Christmas on behalf of Aslan, the king. And for all of their time in Narnia, for the years that follow, the centuries that follow in that land, until the day of the very last battle, when those gifts were laid at the disposal of Aslan, and finally, when they enter into the real, true Narnia, 
as they're going, they begin to say, doesn't this look familiar? Doesn't this look like the place that we used to know? And they, fun, they finally realize, this is the true Narnia. And all of a sudden, someone calls to them, onward and upward, let's go. And they go further, and there's an even truer, deeper, more beautiful Narnia. Why? Because all the gifts that they had were laid at the disposal of Aslan the king, so that one day, they could see him glorified in true Narnia. Psalm 8 Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. But then he says something odd. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Why is it all worth it? Why is it all worth releasing? Because in the end, God receives the glory from our weakness. When we release it all, when we have given it all to him out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, the weakest among us, God receives strength and he is glorified. And so, yes, we receive reward. Why? So the king is glorified. Yes, we receive joy. Why? Because the king is glorified. Yes, we receive life everlasting. Why? Because the king is glorified. And so is it worth leaving houses, land, wealth, moms, Dads, for the sake of the kingdom? Yes. Because Christ is glorified in our rewards. And he rewards us both now and in eternity. And you have been part of the reward for Sarah and me. And I look forward to seeing the reward that God gives to you. Father, you are a good king. We praise your name. Be glorified in our sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.